First of all, I uh, want to say I appreciate the, uh, the great opportunity and privilege to be with you this morning. It's been a, a year or so since I was here last, and I really appreciate the hospitality of the believers allowing us to stay in the uh, house next door, and, and it's just been a real joy for my wife and myself to be there and uh, to have opportunities in various assemblies in the Miami area, and the brethren that helped, Malcolm and others that helped set those meetings up, we just uh, rejoice in that. It's a, it's a great privilege to um, not only know the Lord, uh, but it's an amazing thing that God would take uh, sinners like us and use us for the glory of his son, the Lord Jesus, and to encourage and um, challenge the saints of the Lord. Um, you know, when we gather together, there's so few times in a week that we have opportunity like this to uh, meet as the body of Christ and to study the word of God together. It's, it's a very serious thing, isn't it? Um, I know in the last days, I was sharing this yesterday um, with the brethren from uh, North Miami Chapel that uh, in the last days, it tells us in Second Timothy that uh, men will heap teachers unto themselves having itching ears. And uh, so many places today, even assemblies like this, uh, brethren are heaping unto themselves men that just want to come in and, and entertain the believers and just tell little stories and and little antidotes and things like that. But brethren, it's, a, it's an awesome responsibility to open up the word of God. It's an awesome responsibility to uh, teach and share the word of God. And it's an awesome responsibility to hear the word of God uh, because the Lord is gonna ask us to give an account of those things someday, very soon. So um, I know that you all uh, love the Lord and that you, um, I'm just impressed with the service of the Lord here and the, the many outreaches you all have. And again, I appreciate the encouragement that we've received since we've been here. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 51 this morning. And the uh, theme today is forgiveness. And there's three aspects of forgiveness that we're going to look into. Uh, the first, of course, is just the forgiveness that you and I enjoy through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that we receive from the Father uh, because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Uh, the second aspect we're going to look at is uh, being able to forgive ourselves. And then thirdly, being able to forgive one another and what that really means. So Psalm 51, of course, is a, is a well-known psalm. It's a psalm that David wrote, and we'll look uh, in a few minutes at the, uh, the cause of this psalm back in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But this is a psalm that David wrote uh, after he had committed the, the wicked sin, the awful sin of adultery and murder with uh, Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. Uh, the year after that, when Nathan the prophet comes to him and points out to him, I can imagine what that year was like for David. Obviously, he was a man after God's own heart. He had to be a man that, that suffered during that year. Uh, but finally, when that was known, and uh, David was a man who was broken before the Lord, a man who came to the Lord and admitted his sin, confessed his sin, and received uh, forgiveness of it. So let's just look at Psalm 51. Again, this opening portion here, as you, before you get to verse 1, to the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness." According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and have done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, that thou, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not in burnt, delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure and design, build thou the walls of Jerusalem, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and with a whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Let's just pray again, our Father and our God in heaven, it's it's a tremendous thing that sinners like us, men and women who were uh conceived in iniquity, uh sinners by our nature, uh, later sinners by uh uh, our practice and by our desire uh, given over to sin uh, our very righteousness being filthy, filthy rags in thy sight there was nothing in us there was nothing about us that could ever uh, be meritorious in thy sight be ever anything that would gain your favor but father it's by the complete and finished sacrifice of your son on the cross of calvary the lord jesus that our sins have been taken away uh, not just sin, but the sins that we commit. And Father, we admit that we are still sinners, that we still have this old sin nature, and that we still commit sin every day of our lives, and that we need and rejoice in the fact that uh, Jesus Christ is our advocate, our high priest, the one who sits at your right hand, ever making intercession for us, and that because of him, we can have forgiveness of sins. And so, Father, we pray that as we look into this very solemn subject this morning, that you might speak to each one of our hearts. Uh, I just rejoice in the fact that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit and able to reveal to us what's in the depths of our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that your word would go forth uh, and accomplish a purpose in each one of the dear believers' hearts this morning, uh, that it would not return into you void, but accomplish uh, the purpose uh, for us and for your glory. And Lord, for those that are here this morning that have yet to trust the Lord Jesus, might you bring them under conviction of their sinfulness, of the righteous judgment that awaits them, and of the only way of escape found uh, in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus. So do great things this morning, Father. Uh, manifest your power. Manifest your great love towards your Son. Glorify and exalt him in our midst. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in his name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, there are several words for forgiveness, a couple of Hebrew words, and what these words mean uh, in their essence is to lift up, 
uh, to bear up or to carry away, to take away, uh, to pardon, to set aside forever. Uh, there's a couple of different words in the Greek and they have similar uh, meanings. They mean to send away, to let go, uh, to dismiss, uh, to detain no longer. Uh, to let go as if they had never been committed. Uh, when John stood on the banks of the Jordan River, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, and, I, and I just love that verse because it doesn't say that he sent away. It doesn't say that he just put away. It says that he takes away the sin of the world. He took all of our sins in his own body and he paid the price in full. And the wonderful thing that we read in the gospel, or excuse me, the, uh, the epistle to the Romans is, there is therefore now no condemnation for us that are in Christ Jesus. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful truth. And yet, uh, just because that is true, just because that is right, just because that is the revelation of God does not give us in any way, shape, or form the license to sin. Uh, when our children were very small um, and they would do wrong, we would spank them. And uh, I, don't, I don't apologize for that at all. Uh, we used the rod in a way that, that our children learned that, that sin was going to be punished and that uh, good things, good deeds were going to be rewarded. And our children learned that. Uh, when they were small, uh, they, were, they feared the rod. They feared uh, the wrath, the, the uh, punishment that was going to come when they did wrong. But if they would have continued like that through their teenage years and on into adulthood, that would have been wrong. Uh, the reason my children obey me now, even though they're, they're adults, is because they love me, because they know I love them. And it's true for us as well. When I first, um, when I was lost and, and uh, going in my own way, I was in a car wreck uh, one night, and uh, out of fear, I began to read the scriptures. I began to seek out salvation because I was afraid of going to hell. I was afraid of, of the lake of fire. And so I began to seek out in fear. But you know, as we mature in our understanding of the gospel, as we mature in our relationship with the Lord, it's no longer fear that motivates us, it's love. And love is stronger than fear. Uh, and I'll give you an example of that. A man, out of love for his family, might rush into a burning house to save him. He forgets the fear of the fire and he rushes in because he loves his wife and because he loves his children. Love is a stronger motivation. And so we don't, as believers, it's not because we fear condemnation. It's not because we fear uh, the wrath of God. It's because we love the Lord Jesus because he first loved us. It says in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, which you're going to be getting into this week, in Second Corinthians you're in, yeah, verse uh, 14 says, For the love of Christ constrains us to do good, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then they're all dead. It's the love of the Lord Jesus. is because I recognize that he had to suffer and die for every one of my sins that causes me to turn away from sin. When I think of the suffering of the Lord Jesus, and I realize what a price was paid, and how that price was so high that the pleasure I get out of that sin, and there's pleasure in sin, absolutely, but the pleasure I gain from that sin can never compare with the great suffering that Christ had to suffer to pay for that sin for me. And so it's the love of Christ that constrains us to do good. It's because he first loved us that we love him. 
And so we have forgiveness of our sins. Now there's a, a teaching among some, uh, even among some in our assemblies today, some that you might even know that would say that once a person is born again, once he's received forgiveness in the initial stage of his salvation, when he sins, he never needs to go and ask forgiveness again because all of his sins were, were taken care of. And it's true that all of our sins were paid for. Uh, they were all in the future when Christ died upon the cross, weren't they? So we can say past, present, and future, but yet we still have the same responsibility, and we'll see that more in just a moment, to confess our sins uh, before God. And as we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David was a man who has sinned gravely against the Lord. And, and as I said, I don't know. It doesn't, the scriptures don't reveal to us. But just knowing David was a man after God's own heart, you can imagine that year of suffering in his, in his spirit. He knew he had done wrong. And I'm, we've all experienced that, haven't we? We know we've sinned against God. And just the grief that it causes us in the inner man, knowing that we've done wrong and that the Lord um, is displeased with us. Well, David experienced that for an entire year before Nathan the prophet. Let's just go back to that portion there in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. I know it's such a familiar story to most of us here, if not all of us, but I think it's profitable to look at it just at the uh, context of what we're talking about this morning before we come back here to uh, uh, Psalm 51. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 11. David had just re returned from uh, great victories uh, the Lord had given him victories over the Philistines, over the uh, Ammonites, over the uh, other peoples uh, there that surrounded uh, Israel in those days, uh, peoples that had yet to be uh, totally defeated. And he'd come back from the slaughter of those, of those kings, and there's great peace there. And then it says in chapter 11 and verse 1, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. This was in the springtime. The wintertime had passed. It was springtime when the kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass in an evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, It is not this woman Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her and came in unto her. And he lay with her, and she was purified from uncleanness. And she returned into her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Here was David <laughs> in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. He should have been with the children of Israel. He should have been with the people of God fighting the battles, but he got lazy. And brethren, so many times in our life, it's spiritual laziness that opens the door for sin, that opens the door for temptation, that opens the door for the world and Satan to have an influence in our lives. And brethren, we're given over to it. Uh, James tells us that in our own hearts, the wickedness that's there. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death, separation. You know, um, I was with some brethren uh, recently, some, some Hispanic brethren, and, and they're really struggling with this whole concept. Uh, they think you can lose your salvation. And they don't understand the difference between relationship and fellowship. 
I can never lose my relationship as a son of God. I will always be a son of God. But I can lose fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Uh, sin can cause a broken fellowship with him. He is absolutely holy and demands absolute holiness and perfection to have fellowship with him. And that's why I'm so glad in that verse in 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 9 it says that God only, not only forgives us our sins but cleanses us from all unrighteousness so that we might have fellowship with him. And it's all because it says in chapter 2 and verse 1 because of Jesus Christ the righteous. David was not out with the people of God. He was separated from them. And because he separated from them, he opened up that door for sin. And so here he is in the eventide. He gets up off his bed. Instead of even being on his knees praying, even spending time with the Lord, asking, interceding for those troops that are out there fighting, he's there in his bed and he gets up on the roof and he goes out and he looks across and he sees this woman. Now, I, I don't think that Bathsheba was totally innocent in this situation. I think she knew where she was, and I think she knew all about it. Uh, but he goes out there and sees this woman. Now, that wasn't wrong. Uh, but he lingered on it, and he asked for her, found out that she was the daughter of one of his counselors and the wife of one of his mighty men. And then he still called her up to his house. He committed adultery with her. Wrong place, wrong time doing the wrong thing. Um, speaking again the other night with, with some of the brethren, uh, we say, we believe, and I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ will come before the rapture or before the tribulation ever begins. Uh, in fact, what I believe the tribulation will probably begin is immediately after the rapture occurs. Uh, when the Spirit of God is taken out of this world, Satan and his man will have his way. But um, I believe that the Lord is going to come back. And I tell people, I don't know the date when he's going to come back, but I definitely know the day he's going to come back. He's going to come back today. He's not going to come back yesterday because yesterday's over with. Can't come back tomorrow because tomorrow never gets here. Tomorrow's always tomorrow, right? But he's going to come back today. I don't know the date, brethren, but I know the day. That's why he says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is the language of the devil. Today is the day of the Lord, Right? And so we ought to live our lives in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is going to come back at any moment. Brethren, we are one heartbeat. We are one eye blink away from eternity. You're going to blink your eye one time and you're going to open them up. And the next time when you open your eyes from, from the blink, you're not going to see what you're seeing. You're going to see the person of the Lord Jesus. You're going to be walking down the street one day and lift up your foot. And before it hits the ground, you're going to be in glory. That's how close we are to eternity. And if we live our lives with that realization, First uh, John chapter 3 tells us that all of us that have this hope in us uh, purify ourselves, purify ourselves with the realization that someday very soon we'll be with him and be like him. Well, David uh, set off the fellowship with the Lord's people, was away from the battle, the struggles against the, the enemies of God. He was lazy in his spiritual uh, walk with the Lord, and it opened up the door for this temptation, and he fell right headlong into it. Uh, and then the worst thing, well, maybe not the worst thing, but worse than that possibly is the fact that he not only committed a sin, but he covered it up. He calls Uriah in. 
uh, and gets Uriah uh, there and tells him, go down and with the pretense of wanting to hear about the battle, sends him back down and says, go, go with your wife. Go have, go have time with your wife before you go back out to the battle. And Uriah is a more honorable man than David. Boy, this must have struck David right in the heart. When Uriah went down and slept at the court gate. And he comes back up the next day and David said, you didn't go down to see your wife? And he says, how could I when the ark of God and the army of God is out in the camp in the battlefield? How could I go and lay with my wife? Wow, what an honorable man. I mean, can you imagine what that did to David when he did that? I mean, that had a strike. But you know what David did? <laughs> I mean, his heart was so filled with this and so uh, far away from the Lord in this moment that he gets Uriah drunk that night. He said, well, I'll get him drunk and then I'll send him down to his wife. But a, a drunk Uriah had more character than David in this moment. And again, he doesn't go and, and spend the night with his wife. And then David sends him out and, of course, has him murdered, has him killed. What a low point in David's life. I mean, how can you get further away than that in sin from the Lord? Let's go back to, to um, Psalm 51. So here it is. Here's David. Well, he knew where he was, but you know what else David knew? He knew the character of God. And he says to God, have mercy upon me, O God. And I love this little phrase, according to your loving kindness. He doesn't say out of your grace. He says according to your grace. According to your loving kindness, have mercy on me. He admits his guilt. He admits his sinfulness. He admits his, his sin before God. And he cries out to him for mercy. He realizes he doesn't deserve it. He realizes he's not worthy of it. But he says, oh God, according to your loving kindness, according to your grace. Isn't that a wonderful portion of scripture in Romans chapter 5 where it says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound? Isn't it wonderful to know that you and I can never out God's grace? Now again, that doesn't give us license in any way, shape, or fashion. But it's great to know. I know brethren, men that have struggled because they think they've been told that they've sinned to a point that God can't forgive them anymore. You feel sorry for those individuals. My, my dad was like that, never knew the Lord. But my dad told me and he was a wicked, ungodly man. He was a, he was a horrible father. He, he abandoned us when I was about a year and a half old. Left debts for my mother to pay that took her about 10 years to pay. And never gave us a penny or a dime. Never gave us anything. Just was a horrible, ungodly man with drunkenness and other women. And it just, you could go on and on and on how horrible he was. And uh, yet, you know, sharing the gospel with him, he told me, Mark, God, God can't save me. I'm such a wicked, horrible person. And I said, you know what? The most wicked, ungodly man that ever lives in heaven right now and the second most wicked, ungodly man that ever lives standing right here. Right here. And God saved us both, you know? <laughs> it's an amazing thing. I, you know, I look at other people and I say, I can understand why God saved other people. But, you know, the first question I'm going to ask the Lord Jesus, I, I know this, I'm going to say, Lord, why would you save me? Why did you save me? His loving kindness, his grace has no end, has its infinite. And so he says, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. David doesn't just ask that his sins would be forgiven. He asked God to blot them out, to take them away. It's a lovely truth, isn't it? That God says, I will put your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will never remember them again. You know, I, I hear brethren say, you know, God forgets our sins. That's not true. 
That, that's not biblical. God doesn't forget anything. God is, God is omniscient. He knows everything. Doesn't, he doesn't forget it. I mean, if you're like me, I forget what I, what I shouldn't forget. And I, and I remember what I shouldn't remember. I don't have control over what I forget. But God chooses never to remember. That's the difference. And the whole concept of remembrance is like the remembrance feast. It's not because we forget the Lord Jesus or we forget his sacrifice from week to week. The whole idea of the remembrance feast is we bring to the forefront of our hearts and our minds. We focus our attention on. We bring it back up. The thoughts of the Lord Jesus. Well, that's what the Lord says. I will never bring your sin up again. It will never be mentioned. It will never enter into the forefront of my mind again. I will never think about it again. That's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing that God says, I put your sins as far as these. And, and you've probably heard this before. If he would have said the north from the south, that would have been, well, it would have limited him, wouldn't it? Because there's a, there's a limit to north and south. I go north so far, and then when I get to the certain point in the north and I continue on, now I'm heading south. But if I'm going east, I can go east and east and east and east, and I never get through going east. I'm still going east all the time. But if you ask yourself, why do you say the east from the west and not the west from the east? Um, Leviticus chapter 1 talks about uh, the burnt offering. Uh, the tabernacle was set up in such a way that the, the holy of holies was on the far western end of the, of the um, tabernacle. Uh, out on the far eastern end, the first thing you came to when you came in through the, through the gates, uh, of the of the of the uh, tabernacle was the uh, altar of sacrifice, the burnt offerings, and the Lord is saying, "I put your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'm on the western side. I'm putting as far as the east is from the west, because on the eastern side of the altar is where, if you read there in chapter one of Leviticus, that's where they put the ashes from the sacrifices. That's where when they offered up the bird, they would take the head, they would cut off the head and take the feathers and they would throw them on the eastern side of the altar. And, and then they would take them out to a clean place outside of the camp. But, but it's like the altar stood and blocked the view of those things. And so what the Lord is really saying between me and your sins is the sacrifice of my son, the Lord Jesus. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. The loving kindness and mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. He says, wash me thoroughly with my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I, I know I've said this before. My, my sister, my whole family is very Roman Catholic. My, my, I have a brother who's a priest and my sisters are very, very devout Roman Catholics. Um, no desire whatsoever for the truth of the gospel. Don't even want to hear me talk to them about the Lord Jesus. And my sister told me one time, she said, Mark, you know what your problem is? You've been brainwashed. And I said, praise God. I said, my mind was so dirty, I needed a good brainwashing. I need to be brainwashed. I mean, we need that, don't we? We need the cleansing of the water of the word. We need the cleansing of the spirit of God every single day. Every day. And so he says, wash me. Make me clean. And then he says in verse 3, I acknowledge my transgression. Brother, you can't play games with God. When he says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, well, let's just say verse, verse 7, first of all, tells us the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. You know, that will be one of the favorite verses of every believer. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. Wow, what a wonderful truth. 
And he goes on in verse 9 and he says, if we confess our sins, and the whole concept of the word confession has the idea of saying the same thing as. So what I'm saying is when I confess the Lord Jesus is I say the same thing about the Lord Jesus that the Father says about him. I confess that. I agree with that. I'm in wholehearted accord with who God says his son is. And all these accomplished. So when I confess my sin, the same thing is true. I don't call it alcoholism. I don't call it an alternative lifestyle. I don't call it an affair. I call it what God calls it in his word. And I say, God, I have committed adultery. God, I have stolen. God, I have committed homosexuality. God, I have committed lust. I call it what God calls it. And I confess it to him. Now let me, let me say this. I believe that you ought to always confess your sins to God uh, aloud. Now you don't have to, that doesn't mean you have to shout them. You might, have, you might whisper them. Maybe other people around it. So you say them. And let me tell you the reason why. Um, although God is an infinite, omniscient, omnipresent being, Satan and his demonic forces are not. Satan does not know what you're thinking. The demons do not know what they're thinking. Now, they, they might know some, they can see what you do. They know your habits. They, they know things about you, but they do not know what you're thinking. And brethren, I think we ought to confess our sins aloud so that the demonic beings in the heavenly places, those the ones that are up there, might hear us confess our sins and might know that we agree with God and turn away with it. I, I just believe we should do that. So you confess your sins. You agree with God. I did this particular thing. And then it says, God, in the midst of all our unfaithfulness, in the midst of all our injustice, he is still faithful and just. He forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Say the same thing God says. Agree with him. Don't mix words. Just say, Lord, I did this horrible act and I hate it. I hate it so, so terribly that it just makes me sick to the very depths of my being. You know, we're so quick, dear brethren, to hate the sin in other people's lives and yet love the sin in our own lives. I, I want to I tell you, and maybe you can see this too, the things that I dislike most in my children are simply reflex, reflections of my own shortcomings. And they're magnified to me. And I don't like it in them. And, but I've got to be honest, they learned that from me. They learned that from me. And I've got to hate the sin, the wickedness that's in my own heart. I've got to get that log out of my own eye before I ever try to get the speck out of my brother's eye. Cleanse me. And then he tells him, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Brethren, we can sin against our brother and sister. And we can commit offenses against them. And they can forgive us in a certain sense, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But God's the only one that can forgive sin. Every sin that we commit is against God. No matter who it's, what it is, it's always against him. And a recognition of, of that. And the fact that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. In other words, I agree with God. I am a sinner by nature. I am a sinner by practice. I am a sinner by decision, by desire. And God is the only one that can forgive me of that sin, that can take that sin away. He says, I was shaping iniquity. From the moment of my conception, I was a, I was a wicked, no good, lousy, hell-deserving sinner. That's the way I was born. 
And soon after my birth, you know, we have, we have uh, five grandchildren. One of them still um, just a few days off from, from coming out into the world. But from the moment of their birth, I'll tell you, I was there for my five children to be born. Every one of them, first thing they did was cry. And uh, when they got up uh, in the middle of the night and they were hungry, they didn't look at the clock and say, well, you know, it's only 3 o'clock in the morning. I think I'll uh, wait until, you know, my parents get up and then I'll let them change my diaper and eat. No, they didn't think about that. They manifested their selfishness. Now, again, this wasn't a decision they made, but they manifested their nature right from the very beginning, didn't they? And then as they got older, then they started to look to you with that defiant eye and you said, don't touch that. And they said, you told me not to touch it. You just watch this. I'll touch it if I want to. And then it became the practice of our lives, didn't it, brethren? That's what we are. We're still that way. We've still got that old sin nature. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It'll never get any better. It'll never change. In fact, it just waxes worse and worse as time goes on. David recognizes that. But then he also recognizes the next verse, Behold, that desire is truth in the inward parts, in the hidden part, uh, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. In other words, God just wants us to be honest. Just be honest with him. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to, don't try to you know, uh, blame it on other people. I mean, that's the nature of Adam. Well, you know, this woman he gave me. And then, well, she blamed the serpent. Poor serpent didn't have anybody else to blame, you know. I mean, it was it. That was the end of the road. But we try to blame everybody else for all our problems and all our difficulties and all our sins. Brethren, we are responsible before God. And we need to be honest with him and with one another. Purge me with hyssop, shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me here join glass. Look, what, what, what David is asking the Lord to do is turn this whole thing around. Turn this whole thing around. And God's able to do that. Um, creating me a clean heart, O oh God. You know, the other thing that we ought to be praying when we come to God and confess our sins is, God, I'm not going to be satisfied just because you forgive me. What I want you to do in me is take this sin away. I, I know so many brethren that try to get victory over sin in their own ability, their own um, intelligence, their own uh, flesh, and you always will lose the battle. Uh, the whole secret is found in Romans chapter 6 recognize that I am dead to sin, recognize that I'm alive to God, yield myself to the Spirit of God, allow Him to have control, admit to God, I cannot get the victory over this sin in my life if you don't do it. I've been reading in, in the, uh, the book of the, uh, Samuel and the Kings, and now I'm just finishing up Chronicles, and it's so interesting. So many of the kings would come before God and say, this enemy is too powerful for us. They've got, you know, 10,000 when we've only got 2,000. Uh, they've got chariots of iron, and they've got spears, and they've got these mighty men, and God, we are absolutely incapable of defeating them, but you can do it. And you know what God did? He did it. <laughs> he defeated them. But it took those individuals humbling themselves before God and admitting their own weakness. And brethren, that's what we need to do. And we need to admit our weaknesses one to another. We need to tell other brethren, because everybody struggles with the same things. Brother, pray for me. I'm struggling with this. Pray for me. And, and, and instead of judging each other, what does it say in, in uh, Galatians chapter 6? You with your spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Realizing, you, you, I mean, if, but for the grace of God, you'd be doing the exact same thing. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, I'm not going to be satisfied just with forgiveness. I want a change in my life. I want to turn away from the sin. And he goes on later down to say, then I can teach others 
to turn away from iniquity, others to turn away from sin. Um, David was able to do that in his life with other individuals. Uh, and God was able to bless. He said, God, it's not because you sacrifice. You don't want sacrifices. What you want is obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken more than the fat of rams. Uh, the Lord says in, in Hebrews that um, a sacrifice and burnt offering thou wouldest not, but a body is thou prepared for me. Lo is written in the volume book, uh, is written to me, I come to do thy will, O God. God wants obedience. Uh, there's a saying in the world, and it's a horrible saying, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission. That's, that's a humanistic, worldly philosophy, brethren. We should seek to live holy and godly lives with the realization we're going to fall. We're going we're to come short of the glory of God every single day of our lives that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so just to realize there's a forgiveness from God as we come to him and confess our sins, he will always forgive us. And I'm amazed. I, I don't know about you, brethren, but I'm amazed that God not only forgives me, but he forgives me for the same sin over and over and over again. And that's why I have trouble forgiving myself. I don't know if you ever struggle with this, but sometimes I just have trouble forgiving myself. I, you know, I, I come to God and I confess my sin and I recognize that and I know God has forgiven me. I know God has put that sin away that he'll never remember it again. But you know what happens? I remember it. And, and brethren, it's not that we should forget, the, what we should remember is the horridness of our sin, how horrible our sin is, but we should never concentrate and remember the sin itself. And I have struggled with that. I say, God, how can, listen, I've done this again. I've done this again, and how can you forgive me again? And I struggle with that. And I can just hear the Lord saying to me, what do you mean again, Mark? What do you mean again? It's as if it were the first time with the Lord. And for me to be lifted up with my, it's really it's pride on my part, isn't it? It's, it's a self-righteousness on my part to say, if God has forgiven me as holy and righteous and perfect as he is, I should be able to put that sin away and forgive myself. But one of the most difficult things is forgiving others. Others that have done us wrong. Others that have um, sinned against us and, and possibly more than once um, the Lord tells us to forgive one another um, when he told that to the disciples when they came to him and he, they said how many times do we forgive and seven times uh, seven times if we, a brother sins against us uh, and he said not seven times but seven times seventy the same sin in the same day now, you've got to really work hard to sin against somebody 490 times doing the same sin on the same day. That's tough to do. Don't try it, but, but, it's, 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 it's be really but what, what is the Lord saying to us? You forgive him every single time. Every single time. And, and how does the Lord want us to forgive? Well, let's look at a couple of verses. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In verse 12. Time's going quickly. We're just going to get, give a couple of verses here to close. Here's the prayer. Uh, the example of prayer that the Lord gave us. And in that example of prayer he says this. Forgive us our debts. 
as we forgive others. Here's a question for you to ponder. Would you want God to forgive you the same way you forgive other people? Would you honestly want God to forgive you the same way you forgive other people? A fellow once told me one time when I went and confessed uh, something I'd done against him, he said, Mark, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget it. Forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. That, that's a high standard, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Let's just begin at verse 30 for the context. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, wherein ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, if he just stopped right there, we could have all probably said, okay, we can, we can handle that. But look what he goes on to say. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Wow. This, this isn't a suggestion for those that have reached some high level of spirituality. This isn't for just a handful of believers. This is a command from the Lord for every single one of us. Forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now, how does God forgive me? Well, first of all, He forgives me absolutely completely. God never holds a bitter thought against me because of my sin. God never says, you just wait, I'll get my revenge. God forgives me and puts the sin away and never remembers it again. If you're like me, um, I, I'm this way and I have to uh, 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 recognize it and, and we're probably this way more with the people we're closest to our family members uh, you know uh, my wife or one of my children will do something to me and I'll say you know you do that all the time well that's first of all it's a ridiculous statement nobody does anything all the time but we say that don't we maybe you, I mean it's a little uh, we, we all recognize it or we'll say that's the third time today you've done that we keep account of it. Does God keep account of our sins? I'm glad he doesn't. I'm glad he doesn't. And he says, forgive one another as God has forgiven you for the sake of the Lord Jesus. The thing I have to remember, and I just, I just encourage you to remember, when, you, when someone comes to you and confesses and, and, and admits their sin, their offense to you, I remember, I've, number one, I've offended that person far more times than they've ever offended me. I've offended my wife and children far more times than they've ever offended me. But more than I've, I've offended God far more times than I could ever possibly, or they could ever possibly offend me. And if God has forgiven me, how can I not forgive them? If God has forgiven me this multitude of sins, how can I not forgive them just this handful of sins that they've committed against me? How can I not do that? How can I be like that servant whose master forgave him that huge debt and then he went back and that servant who owed him just pennies, 
he threw into prison till the debt was paid in full. How can I have that same spirit? Because what happened to that man? Well, we know what happened to him. The Lord got the vengeance on him, didn't he? Forgive one another as God has forgiven you for Christ's sake. One last verse. Colossians chapter 3, and it's very similar to this. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. I believe as the Lord Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, he didn't just say forgive them one time. The, the, the idea there uh, of that verb is that he said over and over again, forgive them, Father, forgive them, Father, forgive them, Father. And I don't think he just had those people around that cross in mind. I think he had all of us in mind. Forgive them, Father. Forgive them, Father. Forgive them, Father. If he forgave me that much, how can I not forgive those that trespass against me, that sin against me? Now I want to say one thing, or two things here about that. We should never express forgiveness until a confession is made because God never, we never, we never enjoy the forgiveness of God until we confess. But, but, the moment someone sins against us in our hearts, we should forgive them. In our hearts, we should forgive them. Let the Spirit of God work in them, right? Let the Spirit of God work in them till they recognize that and come. Don't go up to that person and say, well, I forgive you because... Well, now you stop the Spirit of God from doing the work. He needs to bring them under conviction of that, right? Let them come to you and say, I confess. But already have them for Because you know what happens? And this happens to me so many times. My wife will come up to me and say, Mark, I'm sorry. I, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that to you. And I'll be, I want to be mad just a little bit longer, you know? <laughs> Being mad feels good sometimes, you know? And, and, but that's my own flesh in me. And so I've got to say, I, yeah, okay, I, I forgive you. And I've got to really make sure in my heart, I've, at that moment, I've got to say, Lord, I do forgive her. I do forgive her, okay? And I honestly have to say, I forgive you. That's one thing. Uh, the, but you've got to be ready the moment they come. And then what you ought to be praying is, Lord, not only let me forgive this sin, but Father, help me to never think about it again. I want to forgive the same way you forgave me. I want you to take the remembrance of that out of my heart forever. Never let me think about it again. That I might not hold it against them. Because you know what Satan will do? He'll bring up a root of bitterness in your heart. And he'll add to that and he'll add to that and he'll add to that. Forgive one another. Even as God has forgiven you for Christ's sake. Forgive one another even as Christ has forgiven you and loved you. That's the way we should forgive. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be forgiven? Isn't it a wonderful thing to enjoy the forgiveness of God? Isn't it a wonderful thing to enjoy fellowship with God because He takes away and cleanses all of our sins through the sacrifice of His Son? And oh, brethren, what a privilege it is. Really, what a privilege it is to be able to forgive those that sin against us and to exercise the character of God that He's implanted in our hearts through the Spirit. What a wonderful thing forgiveness is. What a wonderful Savior we have in the Lord Jesus. Our Father and our God in heaven, thank you for him who loved us and gave himself for us. When we were enemies, 
absolutely of no value whatsoever, the scripture says. Sinners afar off, without any knowledge of you, without any relationship with you, lost and undone, rushing headlong into eternity, into the lake of fire, separated from you forever. That's what our condition was when Christ came into this world and took our sins upon him and suffered and paid the price for us. And what a wonderful, wonderful thing it is, Father, those of us that have entered into an understanding of that forgiveness and have basked in the joy of knowing that our sins will never be brought up again, knowing that we will never stand before that great white throne of judgment, knowing that we will never uh, be accused uh, by you, O God, that we will never be condemned or separated from you because we are found clothed with the righteousness that comes to us through the sacrifice of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We just pray that you would help us to have the ability to forgive ourselves, to not hold these things in mind and allow Satan to bring into our hearts discouragement and to the point that we would feel that we are totally useless, but to realize that you are able to bring beauty even out of the midst of ashes and that you can raise up men and women even that have committed such horrible sins like David did and continue to use them to bless your people and to further your cause and to further your your purpose in this world. And then, Father, most of, most of all, I pray that each one of us would manifest the character of the Lord Jesus in our kindness, our tenderheartedness, our mercy and grace, our forgiveness one toward another. Father, if there's anyone here in this assembly that is holding in their heart bitterness towards another brother or sister, if there's anyone in here who has offended a brother or sister and recognized it and never gone to get that right, oh God, that you would do a great work even today. And that would be reconciled, that would be uh, confessed, and that would be forgiven, and there would be fellowship fully restored. Father, sometimes in an assembly like this, there can just be a, fa a facade of, of fellowship. But Father, let it be heartfelt that there would truly be love and kindness and tenderness one toward another. Thank you for these dear believers. Thank you for this wonderful time that we've had together in your word. I pray, Father, that it would bring forth fruit unto eternal life, that it would bring forth fruit that has eternal value, and that the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified because of our gathering together today. For we pray these things in his precious name. Amen. Thank you so much.